Well, please join me now in Matthew chapter 5. If you're just starting to join with us at Staples Mill, we're in a walk through the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. We're still in chapter 5. And today we're going to take on this topic, Jesus' complete call to honesty. So honesty, we talk about that, seems so simple, but wouldn't you agree, it is a huge problem for human beings. Now think about it with me. I bet there was never a time in your life when your mom and your dad sat you down to teach you how to lie. Nobody had to teach you. You can't even blame it on your friends. Like, I never lied until I saw my friends do it. We know that came from within. In fact, I was reading this week uh, some psychological journals, some, some studies, and they find that lying is a developmental level of human beings. They'll know around the age of two a person is capable of lying. So think about it. About the age we start talking, we're now able to lie, and, and it's part of our sin nature for, since the fall where we go to lie, and, and nobody has to tell us when to do it. When we're afraid we're going to get into trouble, our sin nature then comes up with, oh, we're just going to have to lie to get out of that. Or if we want to deceive our parents or something I want to do, I know they wouldn't approve of it. So let's give them an alternate version of things. Let's change the details so that I can get to do the thing that I want to do. Or we have turned to lying when we want to impress somebody. Hey, you know, the truth is not that interesting, but if I embellish that, or they probably won't hire me unless my credentials are something else than they really are, Let's pull a lie here. So we know a lot about lying. We know it's not just in us, but because we know it's in us, we know it's in the people around us. And so we live our lives quite guarded, don't we? In fact, let me ask you this. Who do you trust completely in your life? Do you trust everything a salesman tells you? Do you trust everything a politician tells you? Do you believe everything that you read online? It's got to be true. I saw it online. Or how about this? Do you believe every time your phone rings, when they tell you it's a call about your car's extended warranty, do you believe that's real? I got a call this past week. I don't remember what they were trying to do, but they warned me that if I didn't call back immediately, I would be arrested and put in jail. I didn't call them back. I knew it was a lie. You and I are familiar with this. It's, It's such a part of our lives. So in a world of deception... Jesus calls his disciples to complete truthfulness. And so we have a world of fraud and cheating and lying, and God calls us to truth and truthfulness. And so we're going to see this together in verses 33 through 37. It's a section where Jesus now takes up the topic of oaths and vows. Now, at first glance, we think oaths, vows, honesty, this doesn't seem to be on the same importance of what we've been looking at. Jesus has just talked to us about about murder. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount just talked to us about adultery. He talked to us about the pain of divorce. And now we're talking about honesty. This seems like it's not important. Listen, this is critically important. Honesty is a fundamental issue of your heart. In fact, if you think about it, Dishonesty goes with every other sin we could possibly mention because when we sin, then we go into cover-up mode with lie after lie after lie. This is a fundamental issue of the heart. We must take this with the utmost significance because here's Jesus, our Savior. He brings it up. So let's dive in together. Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the very city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of evil. Now Jesus brings up these oaths, these vows that people were making. And he doesn't just pluck this topic out of thin air. This was an issue for the Pharisees and for the Jewish people of the first century. They were notorious for their oath making. But Jesus here makes reference to the Old Testament teaching on these oaths. Verse 33 again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows. And so this is a teaching that is throughout the Old Testament. Here are just three examples. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 12, you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of the Lord your God. Or Numbers 30 verse 2, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then this one, Deuteronomy 23 verse 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. So the Old Testament teaching on vows or oaths or making like a, a swear of some sort like this is not a prohibition against making an oath, but simply that if you make an oath, make sure that you follow it with action. So what was the normal purpose then of an oath when people would give them. Well, Hebrews 6.16 describes it this way. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In other words, we invoke something or someone greater than ourselves in a moment to add credibility to what we're saying. In other words, when we're, we're wanting to convince somebody that we're telling the truth, we'll then invoke God himself and even to invite punishment should we be lying. We're trying to assure truthfulness in the eyes of the other person by making an oath. Now in our culture, we really reserve oaths and vows for very significant occasions. For instance, we talk about marriage vows. This is something more than just over a taco, me making a statement to you. Now we're gonna do something more solemn here we're going to exchange vows together. We have a solemn occasion for that. Or maybe in court, we put our hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God, we know about that. Or political office, when somebody assumes a high political office, they're, they're going to pledge an oath to fulfill their duties. And so it's an important thing. And that's when we do this in our culture. Now, there are examples in the Bible of when people made oaths. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples. Abraham in the Old Testament this is Genesis 14, before the king of Sodom said this, Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear that you say I've made Abram rich. But did you notice that? I'm not going to take anything of yours, and I've sworn to God the most high that I won't take anything from you. Biblical example. But I love this one. This is God to Abraham in Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. 
But so we just said that an oath is when you appeal to something or someone greater to you to, to affirm your truthfulness. God can't appeal to anybody greater than himself. And so to Abraham, he says, I've sworn by myself. What a great statement of the greatness of God. There is no one greater than him. Well, the New Testament also shows us sometimes when oaths were given as well. So the idea is this, the oaths themselves are not always wrong. But here is the point, they should be totally unnecessary in the everyday living out of your life if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So the problem, again, that Jesus is addressing here in his Sermon on the Mount is how the first century Jewish people and their leaders would develop these elaborate oaths. Why would they do it? Well, they would develop elaborate oaths so that they would leave room to break the oath. So the idea was if we don't invoke God himself, but something else, then it leaves us a little wiggle room to weasel out of something that we decide later that we don't want to do. So for instance, uh, we'll, we, won't, we won't swear by God, but we'll swear by heaven. That's a little lesser than gives us a little wiggle room. Or we'll swear, by, swear, swear by earth or by our own heads. But Jesus explains that everything you say is binding. The oath is irrelevant and it's silliness to invoke the oath in the first place. Heaven is the place of God's throne, Jesus said. Earth is God's footstool. Jerusalem is the city of the great king, speaking of God himself. You see that in verses 34 through 35. In fact, Jesus once again, on another occasion, went after this, this silly practice of oath-making like they were doing in Matthew 23. So hold your place here in Matthew 5, but listen to Matthew 23, verses 16 and following. Jesus calls out this silly practice. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You see what Jesus is addressing in their mindset? Jesus goes on, verse, seven, verse 17. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that is sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swells by, swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So Jesus calls out this odd tradition. This bizarre system, this man-made tradition, this wasn't from the Bible. They made this up according to their oral traditions so that they could say, well, this is a binding oath. This one's not a binding oath. Jesus, where is your integrity? Where is your honesty? Jesus wanted to shatter that practice. This week I did some reading in these Jewish oral traditions that were once uh, later written down, the Mishnah. I came across one of this, this, this long teaching on their oaths and, and one just by example was like this. If you pledge not to eat meat, and then a person later says, well, to me, this bread is to me as meat, and if they say later, and this fish is to me like the bread, then they say, well, then you're forbidden to eat all three of those. But why would that type of teaching even be necessary? They had developed this huge man-made tradition related to the oaths. But the point of Jesus is, you must be honest. Don't worry about the oaths. If you're doing oaths like that in your daily life, all of that is sin. It kind of reminds me, though, of how our childhood practices were similar to that odd practice of the first century. Maybe where you grew up used to do the same thing. You could lie as long as you had your fingers crossed behind your backs. Anybody else have that tradition? 
And, and thankfully, it stopped in childhood. You, you couldn't get away with that later in life, but like, hey, too bad for you. Yeah, I did tell you that lie, but my fingers were crossed. Didn't you notice? That's kind of on you if you didn't notice that. What is that? That's crooked. That's not integrity. Then I started thinking about we do have kind of a hierarchy of oaths in our culture that maybe we don't notice. So on the very lowest level of oath making that we do is this one. You ever use this? A pinky swear. You ever had that? Hey, I pinky swear. Jim, are you telling the truth? I pinky swear. Now, I don't know what happens if you break a pinky swear. It's a low-level oath. I don't know what's on the line there. That's not, a, that's not a move I make, by the way, of pinky swear, but it's, it's out there. How about this one? I remember this from childhood. Are you telling the truth? Yeah, Cr- cross my heart. And you know how the rest of it goes. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. So, so, it's like, so you're telling your friend, I would not dare lie to you when I invoke this one, the cross my heart. I'm even hoping to die if I'm like, I'll even take a needle in my eye. Maybe we get more mature and it's just this way. Hey, are you telling me the truth? And you, you'll come back with, I promise. I promise. Now, ordinary just saying, yes, that's here, but I'm going up a level. I promise you. We go up another level in our oath making in our culture. We say, no, no, I swear. So a friend might be pressing you. Are you telling the truth? I mean, I, I swear. I swear to you. That. Then this one, I don't even understand this one. You'll hear people swear on something. So they want to convince you to tell the truth. Man, I, I swear on my mother's grave. What does that even do? What does that even mean? But it's trying to invoke something serious to try to convey. And then the ultimate would be, I suppose, well, I swear to God. And people are like, look, look, I wouldn't play with that one. So you can trust. I know you can't trust my average everyday word, but now I'm invoking God himself. I wouldn't dare cross that one. I, I might have broken the pinky swear. I might have broken the cross my heart. My mother's grave, yeah, but now I've gone here, and you're just trying to say, listen, I, I'm, I'm serious. But Jesus would call that all of that is ungodly swearing. This isn't like a wedding vow. This isn't like an oath of office. This isn't like when you're on jury duty or a witness on trial where you would make an oath. But in your day-to-day life, you would need to do this. Jesus says this is of evil. The idea of this type of invoking these various things is to leave yourself wiggle room that you might weasel out on a promise. We'll use these different type of swears or vows to try to leave ourselves some wiggle room, a little technicality that I can get out on. But Jesus corrects their thinking. Again, verses 34 through 37. His point being, we must be completely honest. And Jesus here quotes from Isaiah 66, 1. Isaiah 66, 1 says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So if you swear by God's things, which they were doing, and you break your promise, you've sinned in a great way as if you were swearing by God's name. It's all God's. MacArthur said it this way, heaven is God's, the earth is God's, Jerusalem is God's, and every person's head is God's. It is therefore wicked and sinful to use anything of God's, whether his name or part of his creation, as witness to anything that is dishonest, deceitful, insincere, or in the least way, knowingly, false. So let's apply this to ourselves, this teaching of Jesus on honesty. First of all, by interpreting Scripture with Scripture, we know that he is not ruling out all oaths. And so, as we've illustrated here, there are places in the culture where it seems to be legitimate where a person might give an oath, jury duty, military service, testifying in court, oath of office, that's legitimate. But something is off if the people who know you best in your ordinary life can't take you at your word as it is. 
but they're asking you to give them some other oath, that would be something off. Your yes should be yes, and everybody relaxes. Like, if he said yes, then it's yes. I have never had occasion to doubt what his word is. And your no should mean no, and nobody has to wonder. I wonder if there's something underhanded going here. James 5.12 echoes this teaching of our Lord. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So in reality, no oaths should be needed in your relationships with the people that know you. I can't imagine what I would do if I told Joy, Joy, I'm heading to the store, and if she said, do you promise? Give me an oath that that's really where you're going. Something has broken down in our relationship. I would have given her some reason to doubt my normal word. If I have to start invoking oaths and vows and promises and different things, we have real problems at the very core. This isn't a small issue, your honesty and my honesty. So here's where we apply this message. We need to be people of absolute truth in every area of our lives. That's what Jesus is saying here. Complete integrity, utterly trustworthy, genuine promise keepers. So this is a call to integrity and credibility, to tell the truth, to follow through on your word. Did you give somebody your word? Then you should follow through on it regardless of the absence of any kind of oath. You and I are to keep our promises. But let's, let's spend some time on this a second. Why is this a struggle for us as fallen human beings? Why are we tempted to lie? We're tempted to lie to lie in several common areas of life. When we, when we feel like we might get in trouble, if the truth is not flattering to us, then that's a moment where we face a temptation, and it's a split-second temptation. Will, will I fudge the truth here? Will, will I lie in order to keep things more comfortable for myself? Or, or do I want to impress somebody and the truth about me is not that impressive? Let me add on to the story. Let me, let me just avoid some of these other facts about me. Or to gain some business advantage. Maybe you're selling some subpar product and you're trying to earn a living for your family, but the product's not that good. And yet you tout it. You, you say dishonest things about it because you need the income. There's a moment of temptation to lie. How about this? Why do we sometimes not keep our word? So we think, well, I'm not, I'm not a liar. I don't go telling lies, but what about do you keep your word? When you tell somebody that you will do something, and then some time passes, do you do what you say you're going to do? Why do we not do that sometimes? Well, we might make a promise, and then sometimes la sometime later when it's time to fulfill it, it's not a convenient time. I don't really want to do that now. And so we decide I, I just won't follow through on what I promised. I gave my word. I will not do it now because it's inconvenient or difficult. Or maybe a person would make these promises and they never intended to. That's a dishonest person. You should have never said you would do something if you did not intend on doing it. You and I should be truthful even when it hurts. Let me give you a silly example of that. It's been a number of years ago now. I had been saving quarters in a jar. It was hard to do then, but it's even harder now because we don't do a lot of things with change. And so, uh, but I remember uh, I had saved up $27.50 in quarters in a jar. I don't know what, me, what made me say it, but I grabbed that heavy jar of quarters and I ran upstairs to Joy and I said to Joy, I said, if you can guess within 50 cents how, many, how much money is in this jar of quarters, I will give it to you. 
I was just playing around. But there was my wife. She took five seconds. She looked at that jar that had $27.50. My pledge was, if you guess within 50 cents, I'll give it to you. What I had spent months collecting. You guessed it. Joy just looked at it and goes, $27.25. I couldn't believe it. All these months of saving quarters. I'm up to $27.50. She guesses within 25 cents. And you know what I did? I did the honorable thing. I begged out of my oath. I said, please don't make me give this to you. I've worked months for this. And she let me off the hook on my oath. Now, to finish that story, it was a couple of years later. I came upon this passage, and I know it's a silly thing. All of my money's joys, and all her money is mine. It really doesn't matter. But nevertheless, I thought, just as a matter of integrity, I told her, Joy, here, here's the 2750 that I should have given you several years ago. I know it's a dumb thing, but I did pledge to you that I'd give it to you. But listen, that's our principle. In the small things like that, but listen, it'd be much bigger things. Did you give your word to somebody? And you say, well, that's hard now. Uh, the word of God would say, even to your own hurt, fulfill what you've promised to do. That's Psalm 15, verses 1 and following. O Lord, who may, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks with integrity and who works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, and but who honors those who fear the Lord. Listen to this. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. You and I are to be people who live out by the Spirit of God in us, absolute honesty, absolute integrity, even when it's difficult, even when the truth is unflattering to us, even when the truth might bring discomfort and trouble to us, we must be committed to the truth is what God would have us to do. This is the teaching of Jesus here in his Sermon on the Mount. So right about now, somebody might be thinking, is it really that important? We're talking about lying here, and everybody lies. It can't be that important. Let me impress upon you now from the Word of God how critically important this is, how there's no other issue more important than this issue of your honesty. It is huge. First of all, I would mention this. God is truth. Why, why is lying so abhorrent to God? God is truth. Do you know the Scripture says that it is impossible for God to lie. This, this lying, this dishonesty is so far from the heart and the nature of God that it's impossible for God to lie. Not only that, do you remember Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. God is truth, and that's why lying is so abhorrent to him. You remember, it's Satan who is described as the father of lies. In fact, the Scripture says that when Satan speaks lies, he speaks his native language. So what language does Satan speak? He speaks lies. And so God is totally against dishonesty, deception, and lying. So God is truth. Secondly, God hates dishonesty. Proverbs 6, verses 16 and following, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, here it is, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. We might look at that and go, yeah, I understand God's against pride. He's against shedding innocent blood. But did you notice God says, I hate a lying tongue. Or Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. 
but those who deal faithfully are his delight. You might be, have one who's been tempted to think this way. You know, I don't do a lot of those things that the Bible calls an abomination, but I lie, but that's not a big deal. God says lying lips are an abomination to him. So we must cease ranking the sins and give ourselves a pass on some of them. God is opposed to all sin because of his holy nature and lying, he, he specifically points out. In fact, let me let you hear how severe this is, and, and it's this. There is a consequence for lying. Lying makes you worthy of hell, and that's what the Scripture teaches. This is Revelation 21, verse 8. Let the full weight of this land on your heart and mind. Revelation 21, 8, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers, and idolaters, and now this, and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Why did God include that here in the Word? Why does He spell out, and all liars? Listen, this strips away any self-righteousness of us. Well, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Have you, have you lied? we would all confess in our lives, we have lied. We say, all right, there's the sentence. This is what I deserve. So lying is no small sin. It's enormous. God detests dishonesty. It's the opposite of his nature. So don't rank it as small. It's a sin that God will condemn. He will certainly do so. So we need to cry out like the psalmist in Psalm 120, verse 2. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Lord, protect me from the lies of other people, yes. But Lord, protect me from my own lying tongue. But here's the good news. Like with all the other sins that we've ever talked about, there's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's why we worship him. God points it out that these things are sins, but let's be reminded God has given us a savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. Listen. According to his perfection, there was never a lie on the tongue of Jesus. He lived a perfect, honest, holy life. But in order to go to a cross where he would die for sinners like us, that he would, he would die for all of our lying and every other sin that we have. And he was raised from the dead. And the person who believes in Jesus Christ puts their trust in him. Their sins are forgiven. They're made righteous with the righteousness of Christ fully cleansed, now a son or daughter of God, eternal life in heaven with God, and the Spirit of God dwelling in us now. And so here's what I urge you today. Take seriously, take inventory of your life. Is this an issue in your life, dishonesty, that you've been giving yourself a pass? Don't do that any longer. Don't, don't look the other way on this. Run to God with your dishonesty and ask for his forgiveness. In fact, that's what confession is. Confession is when you get honest with God. It means to agree with God. And so God's known about your dishonesty all along. Every lie he is fully aware of and knew it was a lie. And so you're not going to tell him something he doesn't already know, but this is you getting honest with God. God, I've been giving myself a pass on this. I've acted like that I didn't need your forgiveness like some other people because of their sins seemed worse to me. But Lord, I see all this dishonesty. I come to you now and I'm asking for your forgiveness. I desperately need it. And make me truthful at the core of who I am. Cleanse me. Lord, make me new. Save me, Jesus. So put your hope in Jesus and then this, walk in the truth. How do you know what truth is in a, in a world like ours? Be in the word of God. 
daily in the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Apply the Word of God. But hear, drink deeply from the Word of God that you might always know what truth is in a culture like ours. Let's pray together.